Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 4, for the whole chapter, verse 1 to verse 19. But first let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, we do not look for suffering in our lives, but Father, when it does happen, help us to keep our eyes on the cross and to see Jesus' sufferings as an example for us to follow to endure our suffering with patience and grace. And Father, we see the many needs in our church family and we see that the varied gifts that you have given us, may we use those gifts to serve one another loving and generously and in so doing, bring glory to your name. Father, we pray for James as he brings your teaching to us. Work in our hearts and minds, we pray. Show us where we need to change, that we would be more like Jesus. And in his precious name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter 4 from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of God of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, 
those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Excellent. Good to hear. Uh, We are continuing on with our series here in one Peter, uh, and I'm going to share with you a video clip here to start with. It goes for about a minute and a half. Now, here's the fun part. This is a 56-year-old guy sort of looking back on his life and the things that he's been committed to, but I'm not going to tell you what he's given his life to and what he's dedicated himself uh, towards. Now, some of you might recognize him. It's possible. If you do know who this is, keep it to yourself for now. We're going to come back to it again at the end of the service, but it's at least going to introduce us to this idea of giving ourselves to something uh, even if it's painful. So let's watch, uh, and then like I said, we'll let the, the mystery sit for just a little while. This is the luxury of having spent my life doing what I love. The cost of that? It sucks. I'm not blind. I'm not numb to the pain. I would argue I'm more conscious of it than anybody else. But I'm also more conscious of what that gives me. And when I'm done with this, that will be what it is and I'll find a way. But there's something inside of me propelling that I'm not going to give up until the wheels fall off. That's what I'm made of. And I wish, I see all the arguments against it, but I wish I could relate the intangibles to you. My guess is that we're all built the same. None of us are completely stupid. A little deranged, I think a strong argument, I do. But ultimately, we also know what we have. And to go and lay down in that sense of it, that's like embracing what we've done with our lives, you know? Powerful, right? You don't even need to know what he's talking about. It's just that, that sense of commitment to a thing. Just curious, so I know what I'm working with here. Do, does anybody know who that is? Yeah, okay, cool. All right, this is going to be fun. Uh, so, he's, he's talking here. He's reflecting on a life that he's lived where he's given himself to something, and it's been painful. It's hurt. It sucks. And yet at the same time, he's deeply appreciative for the fact that he has received something from it. In fact, he wishes that he could convey to people the intangibles of what he's received, despite the fact that many would look at the suffering and the pain and the hurt that he's been through and say, this is absolutely insane. He is happy to ultimately say that, you know what, I, I can sit in the midst of what I've given myself to and, and embrace that this is what we've done with our lives and that this is a good thing is what's, what's clearly implied there. There are some things, there's a sense of here, that are worth suffering for. We, we know the pain. It does hurt. It does suck. 
And yet, there's something beautiful and good in it. And that's what Peter wants us to understand. It's been at the heart of so much of what he's talking about so far in this letter. Last week, Josiah walked us through this idea of unjust suffering. This idea of what it looks like for us to suffer even as we do good. And he mentioned that Peter here is writing from prison in Rome to these people uh, in, in what you know, is, is now sort of the, the, the Near East in, in modern-day Turkey. He's wanted them to understand their identity in Christ. He's wanted them to understand that all those who believe in Jesus have come out of this darkness and this sort of shadowy existence and a commitment to evil desires, and now they're serving the Lord Jesus. There's all these blessings for them. They've become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's chosen people, his own special possession. And he's done all that because he wants them to understand and have a framework for knowing that this experience of suffering that they're going through now is standard because it's what Christ has done for us. And Josiah exhorted us to, when insulted, bless, when suffering, standing firm, and in everything, hold fast to the hope that we have. And that's what Peter wants for his people. But it's more than that. He doesn't just want them to stand firm. He wants them to recognize that it's actually better, we saw last week, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Why? Because Christ also suffered for us. Christ is being held up in this letter as the example of suffering for all of us. And Peter is going to push further into this now in this next passage. He's not done yet with this topic of suffering. It really is at the heart of the letter, equipping these people that he's writing to who are experiencing persecution of some kind. We're not exactly sure what it's a little bit hard to get the dates right and place it, but we know that, that they lived a difficult existence because of their commitment to Christ. And so what he wants to say to them now is, in the midst of this suffering, live with the same attitude as Christ. That's the first few verses here. He wants them to know that the end is near and that that should be reflected in the way that they live. And again, despite the fact that he's already spoken about it, he wants them to make sure that they will not be surprised by the fact that they will have to suffer. All right, that's the three sections of this passage we're going to look at today. Let's start with the first one here. So he says, therefore, all right, what I've been talking about, the unjust suffering, all this sort of stuff, but also therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, since we have that example, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. When we talk about that word, arm yourselves there, that's a a word picture for us. It's equip yourselves, make yourselves ready. Okay, this is not something that you just get as a Christian. There's lots of things that are gifts of the Spirit that are given to us, but there's a sense here in which Peter is saying to us, you need to arm yourselves with this. You need to equip yourselves, make yourselves ready. What with, with the same attitude that Christ has. What attitude is that in this specific context that he's talking about here? It's the willingness to suffer. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves, make yourselves ready, take action, people, get ready with the same attitude, that same willingness to suffer. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
What, what does it mean to be done with sin? Well, I mean, he sort of referenced this earlier in the letter. It's this attitude where we are saying, I've resolved to rid myself of sin. It's not a sense of which if you are suffering, then, then, then by default, like sort of sin is done. No, no. It's this idea that I'm willing to suffer in the body in order to rid myself of sin. Peter has been really consistent through this letter, hasn't he, about there was an old way in which you once lived, but now in Christ there is a new way for us to go forward, and that involves putting sin to death. And those who are willing to suffer, those who are willing to give of themselves as Christ did, will mortify their sin, put it to death, rid themselves of it. That's what it means to follow Christ, to follow his example. Just as he suffered, so too we will in putting sin to death. And so he says, as a result, those who, put, those who had the same attitude as Christ, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Okay, again, we've seen this really consistently throughout the entire letter, right? He's making a contrast between those who live in ignorance of Christ, those who don't know Jesus. They follow their evil desires. They live in disobedience. But those who know Jesus, they have a deep desire for the will of God and a desire to obey him. So those who have the same attitude as Christ, those who are willing to suffer also, they live in such a way Whereas it says there, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil desires, but rather for the will of God. He fleshes this out some more. He says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable Idolatry. If you're visiting here with us this morning and you're not a Christian, hey, it's so great to have you here. Um, now, this, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list. It's not meant to be something that labels every single person who doesn't know Jesus, obviously. Right? He, he's pointing towards the extremes of what was happening in the culture around them and where these people were living to a certain extent. And yet at the same time, the point that he's trying to make here is that the life of following Jesus looks very different from the world around us that certainly does get into some pretty dark stuff. And, it, it's, and it's confronting for us as we live in this world today because in lots of spaces, uh, we know that each of these things are held up as a good thing. And to a certain extent, that's exactly what was happening back in Peter's day as well. Right, there was a way that the culture was living and these things were upheld as, as good things to be pursued. And he's saying, no, 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 that's how the pagans lived. In fact, you guys also once lived in these ways. And the, the culture around you was actually surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. And we get a little bit of a picture here of the, maybe the persecution that these Christians were experiencing. They're being mocked for the fact that they're living differently. That they might very well be institutional persecution and oppression against them, but also just generally that they're mocked for their faith. They're mocked for the way that they live. They're mocked for not participating in all of the stuff that the culture around them is living in. And so the picture here that Peter wants to give is that there, there was a way in which those who outside of Christ used to live, in which indeed which you, you, you lived yourselves, and they'll look at you and say, well, why aren't you part of the party here with us? 
But Peter sort of sets that up and then drops the hammer on them with the next verse where he says that those that are involved in that will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There is a way in which you once lived and those people still look at you now and say, why are you living differently? But just so you know, they should be aware the judgment is coming upon them. But note here that this judgment, this pronouncement of God's judgment upon sin, that when we talk about sin, we talk about trespassing God's law, breaking God's boundaries. That he doesn't dwell on judgment here. The idea is not to condemn. The idea is not to say how horrible these people are or to dwell in the midst of trying to say that you know, th- these people are just you know, awful or yuck or something like that. No, no, no. He says that they're living in this and the judgment is coming. And for this reason, the gospel was preached. Even to those who are now dead. Now, by this, he probably doesn't mean those who are actually dead. Like he's not talking about preaching actively to the dead right now. He probably is talking about those who heard the gospel but have now died. But his point is, is that the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, was so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live, with regard, sorry, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. All right, you guys, you used to live as the pagans do. They now look at you as though you are crazy. They need to know that God's judgment is coming upon them, but you need to understand that that judgment is not so that they'll be condemned, but rather because they're in this situation of being judged by God, we preach the gospel so that while they might be judged according to human standards, they might live in the spirit. That's the hope that the gospel brings. That even though we sit under God's judgment, there is life for those who believe. And so there's a sense there in which even though you've been in this world, you've been in the darkness, you've been in this shadowy existence apart from God, it is possible through the gospel for all to have knowledge of Christ and to join God's people. That's the first point that he's looking to make. He then goes on to talk about how the end is near, talking about judgment, talking about the gospel leads Peter's mind towards thinking about the end of all things. The end of all things is near. Now, again, this has been something that's sort of been there through this letter the entire time with the sense of an individual's future, that we have a heavenly home. We've seen here there's this idea that people have come out of the darkness, they've come into the community of God, and their vision is meant to be set on the future hope that they have. But Peter wants them to understand that it's not just the end of all things when it comes to judgment and that sort of stuff, but rather the culmination of all things. It's the fulfillment of all things, and that includes those who are outside of Christ. And so as we head towards this end time, as we, head, as, as we head towards the fullness of all things coming to pass, he wants them to live in a certain way. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind. Not so much like we, 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 heard, we saw this phrase earlier in the passage, be alert. This is not the girding up the loins of your mind idea. This is much more the idea of being reasonable, sensible, disciplined even. Be alert, be reasonable, sensible, disciplined, and sober of mind, attentive, focused. Pay attention to what's going on. See things clearly. 
The end of all things is near. The culmination of all things is clear. So it's vital that you see things clearly, that you're thinking well, reasonably, sensibly. Therefore, be alert enough some moment so that you may pray. Maybe not the first thing that we would think of when it comes to the end and how we should live and act and all that sort of stuff. But this is Peter's idea, is that an understanding, clear thinking with regard to the fact that the end is near will lead us not to a lazy lack of concern for this world, but an urgent appeal. It's a little bit like when you're getting ready uh, to go on, on holidays, all right? And they, you know, you've probably seen them in the workplace, like two different sorts of people. Some people just cruise into holidays where they just let things go and they know that they're, they've checked out, right? Like the holiday might not be for a week, but they have checked out and you can just see that they're like, they're there uh, in body, but not really in mind in any meaningful way. Right? Some of you are smiling like, yeah, I've been there, bro. Um, others, though, in attempting to get ready for this holiday, they are working furiously to get everything done that needs to get done so that they can go away and rest properly. He's wanting them to know that the end is near, that the fullness of all things is coming, but that this shouldn't lead you towards just being slack, to not caring about the world around you, but rather to make an urgent appeal to God for His will to be done in the time that is left. Above all, he says, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. The end is near, so make these urgent appeals and above all else, love each other deeply. What does that mean, this idea that love covers a multitude of sins? It, it's it's, it's kind of like forgiveness. It, it's it's not concealing sin. It's not hiding it. It's not pretending that it doesn't exist. It, it's kind of more like the sense of it, it, it's gone. It's, it's disappeared. The, the, the sins that we have before God in Christ, forgiven, we're not treated according to our sins, but according to God's love. And so we also, as we seek to love each other, we don't hold one another's sins against each other, but rather it, we, 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 just, we make it as though it is not here. Because Christ has forgiven us, so too we forgive others. Love covers over a multitude of sins. Part of this living with the end in mind, being clear-minded, thinking reasonably about things, pray, love one another, offer hospitality to another, to one another without grumbling. Show hospitality to each other. Again, the end does not mean that we get super into ourselves and our own little world, but rather seek to continue to love and offer hospitality without grumbling and complaining about it. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have, to, you have received to serve others. With the end is near, don't get selfish. Don't just start thinking about yourself. Just don't, don't just start thinking about your own stuff, but rather whatever gifts God has given you, Use that to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gift you've been given, and we've all been given different gifts, use that to love others. He finishes off this section by saying, if anyone speaks, they should do as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So we've had these two ideas so far, right? He's saying to them, live with the same attitude as Christ, a willingness to suffer. 
And then he says that the end is near. We think about the gospel being proclaimed to those who are uh, living pagan lives in the, in the midst of sin and all that sort of stuff. And, and as we think about that, remember that the end is near and that, so we should therefore seek to urgently make appeals before God to love one another, to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, to use the gifts God's given us, to be active in these last times. But now he comes back again to this idea of suffering and he does not want them to be surprised by it. Now at this point, you know that Peter really wants them to get this, all right? Because it's like when you've been listening to a sermon and that preacher just keeps coming back to the same idea and just at the point when you start to think to yourself, you've told us this seven times, move on to your next point, that's when the preacher feels like you might just be starting to get it. Welcome to today's sermon. Um, But this is the point that he's trying to make. He's coming back to his main idea here, which is suffering needs to be a part of your Christian thinking. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. That description there, fiery ordeal, that's what's made some people think that maybe this letter was written in a time of intense persecution. I'm not sure that it means that. I think that he's using this this figurative language to to speak to the, the fact that they are facing trials and that they are painful and difficult, but it doesn't necessarily mean they were literally being put to the flame. But his whole point is, is that he doesn't want them to be surprised by the fact that they're being tested in this way, as though something strange were happening to you. He's writing to these Christians, these believers, who, as far as we can tell, have have some sense of maturity, and yet he's wanting them to understand deeply that suffering is not this odd extra thing that sometimes happens to Christians. His entire point here is to say that suffering for Christians is not strange. It's not weird. It's not abnormal. What's being implied here is that this is standard and a standard part of the Christian life. Rather than being surprised, he says, rejoice inasmuch you participate in the sufferings of Christ. When suffering comes, he says, don't be surprised, but rather rejoice to the degree in which you're participating in suffering just like Jesus did. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Have the same attitude as Christ, be willing to suffer. As the end draws near, love one another, continue to urgently seek to live out your Christian service, not being surprised by the suffering that's come for us, but rather rejoicing so that when Jesus does come, when the end is really here, we can rejoice and give glory to God that we participated in sufferings like Jesus did. That mindset is what makes it possible for us to do crazy things like if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, to think that you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Just think about that for a second, okay? When you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, when you rejoice in the midst of suffering, what Peter wants you to know is that in that moment, 
the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And this is the thing, though. Peter is writing to those who are suffering. He's writing to those who are experiencing difficult times. I'm willing to wager that this was not their natural response. That whatever persecution they were enduring, that this was not their default response to be like, wow, isn't this awesome, the pain that we're experiencing right now? No, how does he tell them to have the same attitude as Christ? Arm yourselves. Make yourselves ready. Equip yourselves. This is not our standard way of thinking. This is not our standard response to suffering. But Peter wants these guys to live radically different. It starts to make sense, doesn't he, why he spent so much time saying, you once were this, but now you are this. You did live in the darkness, but you've been brought into the light. You were a pagan people going after sin and debauchery and lust and evil desires, but now you are a holy people, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's own special possession, Because if you are still living in this, then the idea that suffering brings glory to God is an insane one. It's only when you start to see things through the lens of the gospel and you realize who you are in Christ and you understand how we stand before God and where we're situated with him that now Peter can say something like this to us, that when you suffer the fiery trial, you are blessed And the spirit of glory and God rests on you because you're sharing in Christ's sufferings. And so he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. That's not why why Christians should be suffering. We shouldn't be suffering because of the sins that we're committing. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. When we talk about the, the name of God, we, we talked about this in a little bit, you know, when we talk about we, we pray in the name of Jesus and all that sort of stuff. We, we pray in accordance with his will. We pray in accordance with what he's doing here. Praise God that you bear that name. Praise God that you carry the, the, the authority and are a representative of God because you're suffering as Christ did. That's the idea that we're getting at here. So he finishes the passage by saying, for it is time for God's judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Suffering is coming for us, but let's not just dwell on that. Let's rejoice in that. But rather, if suffering is coming to us, let's be mindful of the fact that there are those out there who don't yet know Christ. As Christians, we're judged, but there is forgiveness and mercy for us. Peter has made that abundantly clear. We've been set free from the darkness and brought into the light. So what of those who don't yet know? obey the gospel of God, those who don't yet believe the gospel. And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In the midst of our suffering, let's not forget about those who don't yet know Christ. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to, faithful, to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, we need to reflect back on this. There's a lot here. It's some some deep and powerful stuff. But let's start with those who might be here visiting with us this morning and whom he is very much addressing when he talks about those who don't yet obey the gospel of God. 
Okay, so there's two points. For those who, who are not yet believing, the, the call is to believe in Jesus and be saved from judgment. And then we'll think about what this means for Christians in a second. But first up, this idea that we need to believe in Jesus and be saved from judgment. Despite the fact that Peter is writing this letter to Christians again and again and again, he thinks about those who don't yet know Christ. It's a very missional letter. It's very focused on the fact that the gospel is what sets people free from the darkness and brings them into the light. And here, even as he's writing to Christians about where pagans might be at and where they might be living, his hope is that through the gospel, they'll go from being on this place where they are involved in all this sin and thinking the Christians are living crazy to know that judgment is coming upon them and yet it's possible for them to come from one place to another. Now, if, if that first list of sins there doesn't feel like it applies to you, um, good news, there's a longer list in other parts of the Bible that does. Right, you, you might look at this list here, okay, detestable idolatry, lust, orgies, debauchery, carousing, drunkenness, and you're like, oh, that's cool. I've come to church this morning, but it's nice to know that I'm doing okay. We could expand that list out. All right, we could take us through the Ten Commandments. It's a basic morality test. We all fail. And so for all of us, it's important to recognize that this is what the gospel has been preached for. It's, it's to speak to those of us who are in this sin, who might look at Christians and say, this is insane. Why are you living so differently from the rest of the world? Well, it's because we know that there's a judge. But for this reason, the gospel was preached so that we might, while being judged by human standards, live according to the Spirit. And for all those who, who realize this judge is just and true, there is a hope that if we believe in him, then we can also have a place with him in our heavenly home. That, that's, that's, that's the gospel. Now, now this thing, I, when, I, when I tell people about the gospel, if you're here visiting with us, it's so great to have you here. I, I'm not trying to manipulate or force you into believing anything. I just want to tell you the, the facts of the gospel. I, I just want to tell you about what Jesus says and what his apostles and disciples say so that you can decide for yourself if this is true or not. Now, there's all sorts of evidence for it. There's all sorts of good reason to believe in it. But if you are feeling right now that the weight of this and that, oh my, my goodness, if this is true, it changes everything, that's a great starting point. That's where you should be when you hear the gospel. Because it's the good news that demands a response. And so if that's you and you're thinking about this this morning, please come and, and talk to me. Come to the next steps desk. Let us know if you want to have more of a conversation about it. More and more in this world, you know, people, when, when they hear the gospel for the first time, it seems strange because we haven't grown up with it. It takes a little while. But if you feel the truth of this and if you've got questions, please come and talk to us. We'd love to, to go on this journey with you. So what about Christians, though? What, what's the message that's being spoken to us? Well, let me play again that clip from the start. Give you guys a chance to hear it again, and then I want to hear your guesses as to what you think he's talking about. This is the luxury of having spent my life doing what I love. The cost of that? It sucks. I'm not blind. I'm not numb to the pain. I would argue I'm more conscious of it than anybody else. But I'm also more conscious of what that gives me. And when I'm done with this, that will be 
what it is and I'll find a way. But there's something inside of me propelling that I'm not going to give up until the wheels fall off. That's what I'm made of. And I wish, I see all the arguments against it, but I wish I could relate the intangibles to you. My guess is that we're all built the same. None of us are completely stupid. A little deranged, I think a strong argument, I do. But ultimately, we also know what we have. And to go and lay down in that sense of it, that's like embracing what we've done with our lives, you know? This is a luxury. I'll leave it there. Anyone take a guess? I mean, this is mean. I, I, there's no way you could possibly get it right unless you know, right? But, but I'm just curious. Just, any, any guesses, for real? I, he's definitely talking about the suffering that he's endured, but, but what, what would you think the thing is that he suffered for? Kaylin? I think he's some sort of artist. You think he's some sort of artist, maybe? Lego or sandcastles, maybe? Okay, right. Where, you would cl the way he sees it, certainly, art is what he thinks he's, he's doing, absolutely. I, Lego, you're in the, you're like not close to the actual thing, but that idea of it's a kind of, you know, Lego, sandcastle building, whatever, you, we're in the right ballpark, yeah. An extreme sport, we're so close now, Zoe, come on. Anyone take a guess? Not marathon, not a rock climber. He's a skateboarder. His name is Rodney Mullins. He's one of the original Bones Brigade back in Tony Hawk's day. This is from the new documentary about Tony Hawk. Some of you are now like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah, great. All right. He is talking about skateboarding. All right. And it's beautiful. And I love it. Because this is a guy who has, at 56... Right? He, he has all sorts of injuries and pain, and yet as a 56-year-old, he keeps skating and keeps pushing himself and keeps putting himself out there because he loves what he does, and he thinks that he's creating something beautiful, and he believes in the power of what he's working for. And the reason why I think that this is such a good picture for us to reflect upon, and here's the punch, he is living, it, that's his house, right? Looks like a nice place. Looks like a comfortable life. He's been successful. He could so easily just, just sit back and he, you know, keep doing public speaking tours and all this sort of stuff. But he keeps putting himself in a situation where pain and suffering will come to him because he loves what he does. Now, to all of us here, my mostly middle-class, comfortable Australian friends, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Suffering for us is not to be strange. It's not to be abnormal. It's meant to be a part of our regular Christian lives. And yet, how often when difficulty or trouble or persecution comes our way, do we act as though 
This is, this, this, you know, why God? Why? Why me? Why my family? Look at what you've lost. Look at what you've taken from us. And guys, listen. This is the important part, okay? That pain is real. Nobody is trying to deny that that sucks. It does hurt. In no way am I trying to diminish the pain or the suffering that we experience right now. Please don't hear me saying that it's nothing. It is something. But here's the thing. That's the point. The reason that what Jesus did for us means so much is because it did hurt. It was painful. It was difficult. It wasn't a light and easy thing that he did. He suffered and bled for us to give God glory and to save those that he loves us. But it's hard for us, particularly in our context, because we do have so much comfort. So much of what we work towards is to build stable, safe lives for us and our kids, right? That's what we do. That's the cultural dream that we live in. Nice house, money in the bank, kids in a good school, everybody safe, living a long life, outliving our kids and knowing that they're going to go on and have good lives for themselves. And here's the thing, guys. There is nothing inherently wrong with that. But the problem is, is that if we make that the thing, make that the normal, then the problem is that when suffering and pain and difficulty comes, we respond to that as though it's the enemy. We look at suffering as the problem. When what the gospel would speak to us is that it's through suffering that we experience the glory of God and the divine. And it's all the more important for us who live in this comfortable space And again, I don't think that we're that far away from the people that Peter was originally writing to. These guys lived in the Roman Empire. That was one of the better places to live at its time. They had roads, they had internal plumbing, they had all sorts of stuff, right? But the rest of the world did not. When when you're in the midst of suffering, Keith Ben was just sharing with us at the prayer meeting earlier this morning about those Christians at the moment in Manipur in India where 80 Christians have been killed by up to June 2nd. They are experiencing persecution and suffering that means that they have no choice but turn to the gospel. But we here in our middle class existence, it's so easy to avoid the reality of suffering, right? And so we actually have to have the same mindset as our man Rodney Mullins. Where despite the fact that we're safe, despite the fact that we've got this good home, we throw ourselves back into that situation where we could be hurt, where we make ourselves vulnerable, where we have to experience pain for the glory of God. That's what we're working towards. Because we've come out of that old life and now we live in a new one. Yes, we lived for pleasure. We lived for all of those things at one point in our lives. But now we've been set free from that and we live with our Heavenly Father. And we now hear have to have an attitude where we suffer according to God's will and commit ourselves to our faithful creator and continue to do good. We have to have this mindset that if God brings suffering our way, so be it, but it is not going to stop me from seeking to do good. Because all these things that he's talking about us doing as the end is near, serve in God's strength, offer hospitality, love one another, pray, use your gift to serve others, speak the word of God. All of this needs to be something that we commit to despite the fact that we're going to do it in pain and suffering at times. And that is 
normal. And I'm firing up now, guys, because, because we, we have to hit this one hard. Because it's so easy, like I said, to take comfort in all, again, the good things that God has given us. I'm not saying that we're sinning by, by living in the suburbs that we live in or living in the houses that we live in. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is that those things, we can't be confused to think that when we talk about the end is near, we build our own little heavenly home and live here. Rather, the end is near should cause us not to be lazy and simply enjoy what we have, but to urgently appeal to God to pray for those around us, to speak the gospel so that others might come and know the power of God's Spirit, that we love one another, that we offer hospitality without what? Without grumbling. It's not easy to always host people. It's not easy to love others. But this is the thing. We, we think, oh, it's so difficult to love that person. I'm just not sure I can keep doing it. No, that's the point. Jesus loved us when it was difficult, when it was painful, when it was hard. And again, I'm not saying, okay, don't mishear me. Don't, don't take it to the extreme so you can ignore the message, okay? The extreme of this would be to say, well, James, where does it stop? Like if we just keep giving ourselves, aren't we just going to run ourselves into the ground and you know, run ourselves to death? Like, okay. We do this with wisdom. There's all sorts of other parts of Scripture that speak about rest. We, we've seen Peter and Paul both run from persecution. They preserved their life at different times, but they had a fundamental understanding that the fact that, this, that even though there might be a time to run and to rest sometimes doesn't change the fact that we have to keep throwing ourselves into these situations where there's going to be pain and suffering. And in God's will, it might mean our death. But we are to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Christ. We have to equip ourselves now in the good times to prepare ourselves for the difficulty and the pain that is to come. And I speak that to a room knowing that there are some here that experience pain and suffering consistently and constantly. And can I just say that some of you guys are the most beautiful examples of Christians that I've seen in my life. The, the, the people that are most encouraging to me are the ones who know suffering and pain and persevere and keep their eyes focused on Christ. And their battle is to feel like I just don't do enough for God. But just, just, just being you and keeping your faith in him as you suffer every day, that's beautiful in itself. So friends, I've hit this hard. But it's because we need to hear this message in our context firmly to shake us out of the pathways that we get into in order that we might live for Christ with all that we have. So let's pray for that now. And let's worship the Lord together. Father God, thank you for Jesus and all that he's done for us. Thank you that he suffered that we might live. Thank you, Father, that even though there is real hurt in this world, there is incredible comfort in knowing that when we suffer in accordance with your will, when we suffer for doing good, that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us, that you are with us in those moments. Help us to not simply choose comfort and convenience and pleasure, but rather, Lord, to be willing to suffer for you, to have that same attitude that Christ did, that we'll suffer to do good, loving and serving others, offering hospitality, praying, proclaiming the gospel, in order that we might see others come to know and live for you 
and then on that final day when you return, that we might give glory to God knowing that we've participated in suffering with you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.